Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhart. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Episode number 69. This is an awesome episode. The Cuddy Hunk Island electric grid story. Island, yep. Isle, Island microgrids, the Cuddy Hunk Island story. My friends out there, hopefully my friends, because I mean, this show has been preempted so many times oh at this goodness. point because of hurricanes and politics and everything else. But we finally get to air the Cuddy Hunk Island story. It is really good. Um, I was so pleased and, and privileged to be able to go. You and sure were. You sure were. And just for the record, I did not go. I had to sit here and work on my job. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> I'm super envious. I got I got to see a lot of the video. I, pay, I you know was, was in close touch. You actually, FaceTime me from your uh, little helicopter ride yeah, over yeah, the. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was beautiful. Talk about that. So a lot of great stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, really excited to uh, you know just hear about this kind of innovative things that are happening in these small island communities around the world. Right. This this is a major focal point for us. We're, we're island microgrids. We're, we're the first ones that are able to kind of leverage this technology. And microgrid is, some, is a term that people have been throwing around for mm. a while, but the islands are the first ones to really pick it up. And this is an island that doesn't have any undersea cable coming to it, even off the mainland. I mean, it's, it's not too far offshore from the coast of Massachusetts, but it's far enough that they don't have a cable. They've been running on diesel forever. Yeah, and Cuddyhunk is not an island that most people out of the region are going to have heard of before. Yeah, if you've but ever if, heard the name, I'm... Yeah, <laughs> right. So but like, like Martha's Vineyard is a similar environment that people sure. are probably familiar with, or yep. maybe Nantucket is yep. another kind of island environment. So this is the type of place that we're talking about right now. Really, really cool show. I was super excited to hear some of this information and the cuts that we have. So eventually we're going to get through the housekeeping and then we'll be able to hear more about cutting up. So let's start the show. I got that. Hey folks, this is the Solar Coaster. We're a renewable energy themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. Fridays at 105 p.m. can be found at the studios in Wailuku, Ko'oi, 11:10 a.m. We also have some FM stations: 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM West Side, 98.7 FM Up Country. The website is getting a little bit of a rehash these days. Yeah, we finally uh, www.solar-coaster.com. That's uh, solar-coaster.com. If you were listening to previous shows, you know my laptop died. I finally got a new laptop. <laughs> I'm actually back working on the website. Um, all the all the old previous shows are now up online, and we're putting up posters and pictures from the uh, the entire year past. A lot of great all show art, a lot content. of great pictures from the studio, yeah, if, if you're field so, trips. If you're a Solar Coaster fan, you're going to want to get on the website and check Absolutely. it out. Good you stuff. can also listen live there. Click on the listen link. You can get us anywhere in the world if you're outside our broadcast area. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. As always, you can fill in for the mailing list or uh, submit questions right there at the bottom of the page. Definitely. And then we've got some great sponsors that we always got to talk about, right? Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Yeah, we really do appreciate sponsors. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if they weren't with us. Impossible. <laughs> Podcasts. We are out there on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Word is uh, Spotify is taking podcasts, and they've, yes. they've accepted our request, but we don't know. Could be if we're gonna be we, 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 if you check, Look it up now. If you can find Solar Coaster on Spotify, you got there before me. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> Give us a call. Go on the website, fill out the form, tell us, hey, you're on Spotify. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go right into it. So I, when I first went to Cuddy Hunk Island, um, I landed, and they were already uh, kind of, kind of. I mean, everybody was milling around the the, the diesel house. This is a, a. It looks like a garage. Uh, there literally is a garage bay. There are four diesel generators on little pads inside, and they're not they're not big generators. And this is an island with I think I got conflicting numbers, but I think it's like forty or fifty households, right? And they go from ten people 
on the island in the wintertime to about 500 people. And it can be many more if you take into account all the vacationers and the boats in the harbor that are also pulling power. So they need, they, they need to deal with this tremendous flux in load where they're generating almost nothing to needing a tremendous amount of power. So they have all these generators, but they're really not large. They're like generators you buy in Costco. They're just really big. <laughs> they're bigger than that, but not by much. Uh, you could load them into the back of a pickup truck. Like 10 kW generator. Yeah, something, something, something like that. Um, but it's a really interesting place because they have had kind of a unique history. That'll become very apparent with some of the speeches that we're going we're gonna to air here. Um, that They have a unique history with electricity. They actually started out rolling out DC power long before even the rest of the world was, was doing anything. It was about like, the same time Edison's running around and, and lighting up Central Park, you know, <laughs> just yeah. string and wire. But they, they decided early on to put all their electrical wires underground. And with the nor'easters and the ocean facing everything, because it's a small island, it seemed to be a really, really smart decision to do those types of things early early on and they've they've lived with that decision ever since but that's that's way back early 1900s just stepping back from it and kind of seeing it a little bit from afar here like Mm -hmm. my takeaway was that you have a community that has a history of innovation yeah right yeah and it's a it's a small kind of maybe i don't know if pastoral is the right word but a small community like you said uh, it's a bit isolated it's you know an island off the coast and you had these kind of pioneering people there Early on, you know, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. And then, uh, and from there, we have this kind of, you know, uh, this tradition of innovation that's being perpetuated and it's happening right now today. And yeah. so that's been very exciting stuff. We're going to hear all about it. So. Yeah. So I got, I got there just in time for the, uh, the ribbon cutting ceremony. We're going to hear from Paul Elias, who's a member of the Electric Light Commission, an uh, elected public servant on Cuddyhunk Island. And at this ribbon cutting, they're dedicating this solar generating field to Alan Twig Spaulding, who unfortunately passed away from an aircraft accident uh, just at the beginning of when they were building this project. And he was one of those on island who always had his eye toward 100% renewables and was, was working toward this. Uh, so the project was, is being dedicated in his honor. I'm Paul Elias. I work as project manager and I'm a member of the Electric Light Commission. It's the great honor of being a, an elected public servant for the first time in my life. <laughs> uh, serving you. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. I never met Alan Twig Spaulding. He died just after this project began in a plane crash at the landing strip nearby. But he was really an amazing pioneer. I found on the web a photograph of Twig as a very young man with his merry henchman building the wind turbine on the top of the hill. And being a pioneer in renewable energy is a very hard position. And the turbine had all kinds of issues and this and that, but it really was, it was really, it was the biggest civilian turbine of if its kind in America at that time. And it was a very important thing. And if you look, you see people referencing back to this installation. So it was a very important thing at its time. This, that was at the time of the gas crisis and the rise in energy prices. And that motivated this whole pulse of activity on renewable energy. Of course, the beautiful house that Twig built has solar and battery storage. And so Twig followed out these developments. And this thing, of course, has expanded and expanded and expanded. What we've done here is the next step, which is we have moved to take, again, a very lead position as pioneers in a storage-based system. We have, we're a microgrid. We have no connection 
to the mainland. And so if you want renewables to be a significant part of your power, you have to have a storage system. Otherwise, when the sun is out, the panels will produce, but when a cloud comes over the sun, you haven't got power, unless your generator's working all day anyhow. And, and then it works all night. So solar can only contribute, say, 20% to, to your whole power budget unless you have a way to store power. And that's what's come on now in recent years has become possible to cost-effectively store power, particularly in a place which has such high power costs as we do. That process has led us, and we did a pilot project down at Narshan for a much smaller community, and then that has led us to this point where we received a grant, which we'll talk about later at lunch, we installed this system and now we find ourselves once again really at the front end of renewables in America. There are very, very few examples, almost none, of whole towns like this running on a storage-based system. There's lots of individual houses that run a battery in the daytime and run, I mean, run a panel in the daytime and run on a battery at night. But scale matters and to get to 200 houses and a whole town running on batteries all night is really a, a different reality and, and people, I go to the, uh, the Island Energy Conference every year in Maine and people come from, from the people here from Hawaii in fact today, but people come from the South Pacific, they come from the West Indies, but people come from all around the world from the Aleutian Islands to this conference to understand how these microgrids ought to be designed. And so they've been watching Cuddyhunk as, as, as in a way the biggest and best example of this type of very heavily renewable system uh, visible. And so that's, and in a municipal context, it's not just one big palace of a house, it's really a town. And it has to operate with all the constraints of a town. So this is a very important example. And, and these funny little outposts like, like these islands, they're sort of left behind by history in lots of ways, but then they find themselves right on the cutting edge of new technology which is not where Cuddy Hunk expects itself to be, usually. Um, so up at the Island Energy Conference, we have the New York Times reporters showing up because microgrids suddenly are judged to be very important, like Hurricane Sandy hits Manhattan, and there's an island that has half, doesn't have any power. And that's a very important problem. And so they're trying to understand, how do you subdivide the big grid into microgrids like this one? And, and, and so the whole, the whole energy system in the United States is thinking about these systems, but nobody has the economics to do the battery installation that we've done. So storage is the next huge thing to come along, and it's going to be implemented throughout our power grid in North America. And this is a very pure example. It's, a, it's a, a, a really a pure microgrid. So uh, anyway, I, I, it's, I think, perfect that we're honoring Twig Spalding, who was really a, a, a visionary in this regard uh, today. And I would thank you all for coming out. And uh, I'm going to ask Holly to cut our ribbon. So there you go. It was a really fantastic event. Uh, pretty much the entire island turned out. You can hear from the crowd there. There's not that many people on the island, and everybody was there. Yeah. Uh, and it really means a lot to them. Really fantastic. One of the things that was discussed a lot was the fact that uh, although they paid quite a bit of, out of their own pocket, they were also able to secure a grant from yeah. the federal government. And there was a process um, there, right? There was so, a significant yeah. process there and very open and honest about it, what the whole process looked like. And uh, in fact, uh, Stuart was uh, instrumental in securing that grant money, uh, talked about the process. So we right. can listen to him. And, and we're talking about a USDA agricultural grant, I think, right? Yes, so it is. Yeah. So this is something that actually is available here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. This is something that uh, is available for uh, rural grids, rural electrical grids. Yep. Uh, and so they can happen not only on 
on the residential and well agricultural but small agricultural level all the way up to these community level right. so it looks like a you know a portion or a significant portion of this was came from the USDA agricultural grant which is really really great yeah Stuart's uh, going to take us through the whole process I wanted to invite Stuart Young up he sort of picked up the ball where where Alan brought it to and carried it on further. So Stu is a selectman and represents the municipal government. So. Okay. So first of all, I want you to all understand that Alan Barry has not filled in the very critical part that he played in this whole process. Without him, none of this would have happened. He had a long-standing relationship with the U.S. Department of Agriculture's representative from Massachusetts, Jay Healy, since retired. And it was through that relationship and conversations back a number of years that this opportunity arose. And uh, Alan came to us and said, gee, Jay's got this opportunity. And through, through Jay and the local Wareham representative of the USDA, he said, you guys got to do this. This is something that's really amazing. And as you all know, his enthusiasm for things like this that really put the put the screws to us and said, "You gotta, you gotta do it." And we looked at it and said, "Oh my God!" It was. We got the the actual notice July 12th, and it was due July 30th. You know, oh my God! But. Everybody said you got to do it, and I didn't know any better. I was, a, I, I, I was a new selectman, so I didn't know anything about anything. But I'd written a lot of proposals, and we had a lot of enthusiasm and people to help. And we'd done the project at Noshan, so Paul and the contractors for Noshan were really instrumental in helping demonstrate that we, town of Gosnell, big, had done this before, so there was great credibility that we've done it before, we can do it again, we had contractors lined up, so that whole engineering part, you know, little Gosnell, what do we know about this kind of stuff? But we, we'd proven it, and that was a key factor, I think, in getting the award. So the, the proposal, I locked myself in a room and came out July 30th and mailed the proposal, and um, sometime just before Christmas, got a call from the USDA, and they said, we got a Christmas present for you. <laughs> And, and the word was that the, the money was going to come in May. Well, that was 2012. Long story, I think we got to the point where we were sending out RFPs and hiring contractors in 2016. But along the way, there was all sorts of bureaucratic steps we had to go through, environmental studies, archaeological studies. People wanted us to dig holes, not just down on that site, but all over the place to see if there were relics of of anything. We got through all that process and eventually got to the point where Paul then just stepped in and it was a natural segue and then you got into the contractor side of things and we went on from there and we've seen the result. And Do you want to sort of fill in yeah. how that whole worked? Well, the um, I remember Stu called me up. I knew that there had been a proposal developed at some point and I'd forgotten about it. And then some one day, I guess at Christmas, I got a call from Stuart. and said, hey, we got the grant. And I said, what grant? <laughs> and he said, well, we got $2 million to build this thing, just like Narshan, but three times bigger. And I said, Stu, no one on earth knows how to do that. We don't know how to do that. And this is a municipality. This isn't us spending private money on, a, on, a, on, a, on an experiment. This is a, this is a town power system. This is a federal grant. You go to jail when you screw these up. <laughs> and so I said, sign me up. <laughs> I want in. And strangely, Asa Lombard was willing to step back 
Now, I should, she should have given me a sign when the, when the wisest man in town is running in the other direction. So I ran unopposed, suspiciously unopposed for the role of electric light commissioner, joined, joined Bill and Wyatt. And uh, together we made this kind of Siamese triplet thing, Bill, Wyatt, and me. And for a couple of years, we were just bouncing stuff back and forth and we each had strengths and weaknesses that turned out to be perfectly complementary and just it was sort of this miracle thing with Wayne buzzing back and forth you never knew where Wayne was but he always got it done and 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 it, it the whole thing just sort of unfolded in this magic way and I think it was one of the great experiences of all three of our lives was to have this relationship and this experience of, of seeing this thing kind of come together in this magic way. And we were pushing the envelope very hard. We knew that you could build a system, half-size system, and for not much more money, you could build something twice as big. It was all about the logistics and the staging and everything else. It was so hard to get even the basic system built. We said, you know what? Go big or go home. You gotta make this as big as you can. Take every dollar and spend it on gear and on labor. And so we didn't want any management. We didn't have a general contractor. We just had Solar Design Associates as our owner's engineer to, to help coach us. But we didn't want a general contractor who's gonna go broke in the middle and take half the money. And we, we want, so we did it ourselves so we could get every inch. We were all volunteers and we got a, a bigger system than we could have ever hoped to get. Partly because the price of lithium ion batteries fell during the four or five years that we were trying to get our site approvals. They fell through the floor. We got a megawatt hour of battery storage. We never would have expected to get that. So the system is much bigger and much better than we thought we'd get. And it just, it, everything kind of came together in this wonderful way. And anyway, I just wanted to get, well, the other thing, the other people can I wanted to... Can I just yes. interrupt? Go ahead. Something I didn't say is that when we got the award and everybody was jumping up and down and isn't this wonderful, we got two million bucks, the problem was, where do you put it? <laughs> we don't, town doesn't own any land, we got this, yeah. but where, where does it go? Yeah. And we're not going to be able, you're not going to let us put it any place where you have to look at it, yeah. right? It wasn't going to happen. So that was a whole nother convoluted thing. And it's thanks to the Spalding family yes. that the site is where it is yeah. now. part of the whole team, the Electric yeah. Light Commission, to work with the family, and so, again, And that site that. is perfect. It's up out of the wet. It faces south, so you can pack those arrays closer because they don't shade each other as they go up the hill. I mean, it has many characteristics that were really ideal. It's not far from the powerhouse, but it's out of sight and out of mind from the town's perspective. So it was really the sweet spot. Again, we kind of found an optimal solution, and all these things sort of gradually fell into place. It didn't feel that way at the time. But, uh, Okay, so that gives you some details about the overall project, I mean, how they actually put it together. Um, let's get a little deeper into this and understand what they were really able to achieve. So Cuddyhunk is an island that is literally le less than a mile square. It's 1.5 miles, but it, there's a large water area in the middle. It's a nice protected cove kind of kind of space. Uh, the town is a small cluster of buildings on one side, and there's a few isolated um, small settlements which are literally like two or three other houses <laughs> down, it's a pretty amazing place to spend some time in the summer it really i, th I family, think you right? would enjoy it a yeah. lot because you do some sailing yeah. and it is kind of that sailing is kind of the uh 
the mode of choice. There's all these <laughs> to boats get, to get around. There's Cove, a lot right? of boats. So there. we're actually gonna um, we're gonna pick up at the powerhouse location, which I assume yep. is a little bit higher elevation away from the cove, probably. Right? Actually, <laughs> it's it's a little higher elevation, but not too much. I mean, we're not. I, mean, I was able to walk from the ferry mm-hmm. terminal, which is way down the island, um, within five minutes. Okay. And it's actually much less than that to get. To, if I walked directly from the powerhouse to the ocean, it is not far at all. But the powerhouse is really right in town, and that's one of the reasons why this is so unique. It's because they've been listening to these diesel generators ah, for their entire lives. Livability. Sound, in fact, in fact, right? that was that was one of the con- that was one of the comments I heard. Is well, the, what's wrong? <laughs> what happened? The diesel generators are off. That sound. They're used to hearing it sound. They're hearing that quality sound. Quality of life. That's there. something right there, right? Amazing, amazing, yeah, amazing quality of life change. Okay, so should we go right over to the powerhouse? And yeah, that's that so we're going to hang out with the powerhouse a little bit. They're going to talk about the battery bank. Well, the specifics about it. it is a one megawatt battery storage system. One with, megawatt hour? One megawatt one of power mega, capability? What am I about? Hour. One megawatt hour. hour. Right? So, so it's, it's one megawatt storage, hour. Right? Energy storage. So it's, what they're saying is, is they have a third of that in solar, so it takes three hours total. But we're going to hear all about that in the uh, powerhouse conversation as we get the tour. Okay, let's do it. Right, so there's right. another one of these units right back here. And together they make up a megawatt hour, which is enough to really carry the village all night uh, off season. Mm-hmm. And on season, it um, it runs down, batteries kick on until the solar day starts, and then it, it shuts down and, and takes over. And in three hours, there's basically a third of a megawatt of solar, and these are a megawatt hour. So in three hours, they can fill this if it's a sunny day. On a half cloudy day, it'll take all day to, to charge it. So we wanted an over, we wanted to overbuild panel capacity so that we could charge in lots of conditions. You know, We could add more batteries and, and that would get maybe get us through that late night decline. We could maybe get Go us right over the hump, it. the morning hump to the solar day. That would be the ideal. Yeah. Now, these are expensive. It costs us, uh, you know, they were, it's really half a million dollars in batteries and another half million in controls yeah. and stuff. So it's it's uh, a, a, the storage is very expensive and it's not as long lived as the panels. So we chose to, to build out the panel. It's also really hard to build more panel because you got to get the post pounder. You got to get a whole. You have to you have to the do barges. The whole the whole kind of um, logistical logistical support, support yeah. for, for So we said okay, let's just build out all the racks we can. We'll load as many panels on them as we can, and what, and that's going to sit for 40 years. That'll work forever. It's solid state stuff. There's no more Parts. Yeah, right. Inverters are yeah. the only thing you're going to need. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it does, it does. There's a mild decline depending on etching of the surface and whether the transparency gets reduced. Yeah. Yeah. The degradation is maybe 10% over that period. Long time. Yeah. Um, the issue with the micro cracking and stuff that I think yeah. would affect you more. Yeah. Uh, because, because of thermal, thermal changes. Because of thermal changes. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of that stuff happens though in transport and yeah, installation. And okay. when we do the so first commissioning, you know. Yeah. 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 You know, we'll do a curve trace and we'll know right away yeah. if there's You'll a problem. See it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But in Woods Hole, we, we used the Woods Hole Research Center as a model because they'd had solar running for 10 years or more. And we said, okay, are you getting snow on your panels? What's going on? Do you have to clean them? Yep. And we discovered that it, it was really very self managing. 
And I so, would be more concerned about the seagulls. Yeah. 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 Well, we don't, but we don't seem to be getting birds yeah. landing on them. And uh, some places they do at Alcatraz. They yeah. have terrible trouble. Well, they also with that. they take the cohawks in New Bedford. We found. Yeah, they drop them. And they drop them and they, they break, break the glass. Them. Yeah. They, we have not had. We we these ones them. both at Nashon. That, both, Nosh- both at Nashon Island and here though these are well inland, right. and the and the gulls are mostly doing that right yeah. on the shore. Yeah. And also you have all the fisheries in New Bedford, so the, yeah. the gulls are going after the fish. Yeah. yeah. It's so a little different. So we haven't seen so because all those things they sort of seem crazy, but they're real issues, you know. Once you're because we've got yeah yeah. We've got, salt, we've got salt air here, you know, yep. and the salt gets We've got like 50 spare panels to make up for that, but we haven't lost any yet, and it's been a year and a half, so it's really worked well. <laughs> so that's really funny to hear about the seagulls. I mean, this is something we just don't have to deal with uh, out here. I've never seen seagulls dropping clams, seagulls on. Dropping clams <laughs> onto uh, solar panels. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't happen. They're not clams. What are they called out there? Cohogs. 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 That's a big clam? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's a big, big fatty. You know, when we have, <laughs> you know, what, what I love about re- the renewable energy industry is just that there's these special little regional nuances of putting putting systems in, right? Yep. If you live on a golf course, then the first thing you're going to think about is, does a golf ball crack my panel? Well, a lot of the times, yes. Yep. If it's a sun power, it cracks, but it probably keeps functioning. If it's not, yep. it cracks, but it probably doesn't, right? Yep. So uh, there's uh, different things to consider. But in this case, you have to worry about seals dropping clams on the panels. I love right. it. Luckily, yeah. they're for they're far enough inland they said that they really don't see a lot of problems with birds if you do want to see a problem uh go on google and search Alca- alcatraz solar because that is horrendous they were talk- they were Bay, talk- the alcatraz, the, right the, the alcatraz prison. island that's no longer a prison i think it's a museum but uh they do have solar on it and it is disgusting <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what, the, what, the, what they right? have to deal with because all the birds land on it and they poop all over the panels and it is really, really... How would you awful. like to have that job? That, that is a job, <laughs> Well, yes. it is a prison. I mean, You want to hear about another job? Let's listen in uh, as, as Wayne talks about cleaning the snow off the panels. More yeah, angles of the sun. Like, you want it looks like when it snows? What does it look like when it snows? See that valley down there? So oh, you mean where it's it last all... area where the snow to leave. Yeah. Well, these are your problems. Nobody else gives it. Oh, I know. <laughs> I take pictures in the winter. You know what they ask me? Do you clean the solar panels off in the winter with the snow? Do you? No. Number one, you'd find me dead on the ground for a freaking stroke or a heart attack if I started cleaning them. Oh, well, that's true. And uh, I don't get paid enough. <laughs> no, but, but they talk about having kids clean them yeah. in other places. Clean you know? with a fire hose. Cleaning off the snow with a fire hose. <laughs> something we don't have to worry about here in Maui? Nope, not something you're ever going to have to do. Except for Mount Nakea, perhaps. We do have snow up there. There is a solar system up there. I did bit it. Yeah, you yeah. did? All right. <laughs> anyway, it's about time for our commercial break, so we'll be right back. Aloha and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. 
Tsubuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tsubuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tsubuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. And so that was our commercial break. And thank you so much, sponsors, for keeping us on the air for 69 shows. Yeah, 69 so far. And we've got uh, plans for a few more. Yeah. <laughs> so when we left, uh, we got a good introduction to the batteries and the solar technology that they'd installed. But we also did tour the diesel power. They're not getting rid of the diesel entirely. These, the batteries and the solar that they've installed takes about two-thirds of their overall generated. It's a tremendous impact. Uh, but they still need that other third to get them through the last. So they're not end-of-lifing these diesel generators yet. And we get a really good sense on how they're going to use them in the future. When say if he was off island, he could see exactly what's going on because of this of these all these remote sensor points that tell you what's happening yeah, this, in the system. The screen here I see on my iPad anywhere in the world. And this shows I the state of charge of each of the batteries. It shows the input from the solar field. It shows whether which generators are on, which are off. And our hope is that our generator life will be much extended because they're running so little. The life of a generator is determined by how many hours it runs. And so if they're just running an hour or two a day, and only one of them runs, right? I mean, they don't, they don't come on two at a time. So there's four generators here. This will be a very, very low amount of runtime per year for these generators. And this was one of our big expenses, was these things would blow up. They'd have to be rebuilt. They're all, so they're all, since 2007, I've changed everything in here. So hopefully these are in good shape now on so this very more. reduced schedule to last for a very long time. They're all new. That's a new diesel in, in the fall. The new back end to that generator, and that diesel is two years old. These have both been changed already, the diesels. 
So hopefully they'll ne we'll never buy another generator. That's the plan. Right they were running before the like yeah, they were running day and night, and, and we were overtaxing them regularly. We've also implemented a lot of conservation, which has reduced the loads on the island, so nothing has to run as hard. And also, when, when, when these turn on, it used to be they ran sometimes under a very low load because the island in winter didn't have much consumption. And that's not good for generators to not be fully loaded. So now, they can run under full load briefly, and whatever surplus power above the, of the actual island consumption there is just goes into the battery. So this is a much more efficient way to run the generators for a much briefer period. So they still, pick, they still generate about a third of the uh, kilowatt hours of power for the island, but they do it in a much shorter runtime because of this, because they're on full blast when they're on and then they turn off. This, this system, this whole island is like a big factory. There's only 502 volts, three phase. That's it. That's like a factory on the mainland. On the mainland, you got 13,000 volts, 35,000 volts. Now you got people coming to Marina with these boats. You see some of the monsters in there. <laughs> I mean, you're like a house, a couple of houses. But the thing is, uh, I had three phase transformers down there, and the boats were only getting out 208. So everybody's screaming. I says, "Look, it's not the mainland." Well, I plug in and so and so. I says, "Yeah, because you've got 13,000 volts coming in." So what I did was I changed the transformers to single phase, which gives me 240 volts. Now all these, you know, the boaters are happy. But well, there's a lot of adjustments. Not, what we discover when we start running a system like this is there's lots of things that work differently when you have an all-renewable system. So people's rooftop solar installations, there's three or so yeah. rooftop solar installations on the island, those things get turned off like our panels when the batteries fill up. We can't accept any more charge at that point because we got nowhere to put it beyond whatever little load there is on the island. And so those, the design of those rooftop systems, they're designed to run on a petroleum-based grid that never drops off. And so it really, it's renewables, but it's renewables that are reliant on petroleum background. And so once you get into an all-renewable world like this, it's a very different engineering problem, and the solutions still are coming along for that. We're uh, way ahead of the curve on that. So it's, that's the problem. One of the key challenges with this kind of installation is that people haven't devised the equipment to operate at the right scale for this. And so it, we're right at the, at the edge of that. Has, has the rate dropped from the 62 cents a kilowatt hour? Yeah, in the winter time, we've dropped the rate down to 45, 45. cents. Uh, and we may get further economies in time. We, we, we still were doing some rebuilds of generators last year, and we had some special expenses associated with that. But we hope that that will come down uh, summer rate? over time. Summer rate's still at 62. And we don't want to send anybody to increase their demand, yeah, right? That's the opposite so, effect. Uh, yeah, so that's the opposite that's effect. what I get every day when they don't hear the generators running. When's the rate going to go down? Right. <laughs> I just keep the lights on. That's my job. <laughs> it's like the tolls on the pipe. Oh, make it look like that. I don't know the, the best story was when, when we first put the system live and the, and the generator shut down for the first time. Wayne says, what's that sound? There's this, like this little hissing sound. And he goes around the back and he finds the toilets running. The toilets. <laughs> and, and the toilets have probably been running for 20 years. I mean, and no one could ever hear it. 20 years. How long has that toilet been running? <laughs> That's when the rates are high. <laughs> So, so much going on in that clip, way more than just the diesel generators. Uh, you were not surprised that they were having issues with the curtailment 
Well, yeah, you're yeah. Talking about. <laughs> I mean, we're we're looking at a an island grid, mm-hmm. we're isolated, and they're going to have the same kind of issues we have here. But uh, if you can believe it or not, on a smaller scale, we tend to think of well, maybe Molokai is a, a smaller example. It couldn't get any smaller, but actually, Cuttyhunk is a smaller example of the same kinds of issues. You have all this solar in the middle of the day. People want to put solar on their houses, and they can't contribute to the uh, to the grid at that point because there's more solar than people than the community can use. Than the, than the grid can use, right? Yeah. And that's it, it's a really really big problem, and you see it with these high uh, renewable penetration uh, grids out there every single time. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that it all comes down to some policy, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, okay, well, people want to put in solar, great. You can put in solar, but you need energy storage and management in order to be able to, uh, to, like, a self-supply system effectively, right? Mm -hmm. That's mitigate your buy, but use your solar plus storage to, you know, to move that energy around, shoulder it through the evening and the night, and just stop buying that 60 plus cents a kilowatt hour energy. Is that irresponsible? Because they did just, as a community, go out and get this large battery bank and solar bank and now i mean the price so should of, they be buying it 60 should they shouldn't they be buying the, <clears throat> that's the, a good point the, what's the responsibility of the community 60 some odd cents a kilowatt hour that's not small that's pretty much double what we pay on maui yeah i mean from a <laughs> from a community perspective which is uh yeah that's certainly an important question i think there's a little bit less there, so we certainly have a great community here in maui but when it comes to this private utility there tends to be some <laughs> less uh, uh sympathy for the utility and all sure. the problems they're encountering maybe sometimes sure. in, the, in the community so here it's uh, maybe they're thinking okay well we got to make sure we protect this yeah it's yeah. such an intimate small community so difficult questions for sure uh another thing that was in that segment was uh wayne uh, was talking about his iPad, mm. uh, where he can actually go in now and see what's going on with the system anywhere in the world. I mean, you can go on vacation and not be on vacation because right. he has to carry this thing around. But I asked him more about that. As soon as I got to Florida last February, I was only a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. couldn't pull nothing up. Oh, of course. That thing crashed. I said, Jesus, works fine with him. been here for like forever. Yeah. yeah. I get down and it took him three days where I was down. I had no idea what nothing was doing. And one of my helpers, he was like limited. Mm-hmm. Touched the screen. He touched the screen at the top. He erased all those apps. Oh, of course. <laughs> there. So I had to bring them all back up. Finally, they got in, got into it. It was something they had to do. They had to reboot something. Well, like I say, I'm not. It took me like a year to learn an iPad. I'm used to calculating with paper. These guys come in. Well, you get in your app. You don't, don't, don't. I says, I have no idea what you're talking about. So pretty amazing to think that you could be down in Florida and looking at and managing your your grid. Well, assuming for, that it worked. Uh, right? And, <laughs> and of course it crashes. Uh, so there was some human error there too, some pilot error there, right? It sound, sounded like, although in, in the end they had to reboot some, te- some of the technology. Um, and I think that's going to be inherent. It's all highly software dependent. Right. I mean, one of the things that we were you know thinking about was, is this just, I want to look at what's happening and monitor what's happening or can I actually make controls? Can I, is, is it controllable? Can I make decisions? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he certainly had an opinion about that. You know, you say you monitor it on your iPad. Can you make adjustments remotely? Princeton Power does that because they monitor this. Yeah. I can start and stop generators though. Okay. If I see yeah. something going on, I, you know, I see a generator problem, I reset it. If not, whoever's an alternate guy has to come in here physically on this panel and set it. But I get other generators to you know to make up for it. There are safety issues associated with having dual control, having local control, but also remote control, because somebody could have their hands in a generator and somebody remote starts it up, right? Yeah. So so there's there's issues of of control and safety that you have to think about. That you know again, we never thought about it until this you know suddenly you're confronted with these this new world. With lots of information around, and 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 maybe, and maybe diversified control, 
It also means that, like, can the North Koreans turn the thing off or <laughs> direct cyber attacks with yeah, it or something them, else, right? Coming up. That's what they told me. Uh, I couldn't get online a long time ago. Right. Because the Taliban will come in. Exactly. Take That's over. what they're looking for. They're coming to Cuddy, Cuddy Hunt. They shut the, <laughs> shut, shut the power off in the winter. Yeah. And when all 10 of us are here. That happens right where so they, they need us. I know they make light of it, but security is a serious concern with all these things being online all the time these days. I mean, even even if it is a view-only system, the, the potential is there to be hacked and compromised in ways we can't even imagine yet. Sure. I mean, this is a, a relatively small example. Mm -hmm. You know, guy with an iPad, Princeton Systems puts together, you get a couple of generators, you have a battery storage system, you have a solar system. But I and mean, he can start those generators. He does have that capability. Yeah. And then, of course, you think about, you know, what an overall national grid would look like if you have access to, I mean, geez. All right. So where, where do we end up next here with this? Uh, there's an, there's so a, at, at the end of the day, um, the folks had a lovely lunch out in front of one of the residents' houses. And there were a couple more speeches, um, one of which I thought was just absolutely stand out. Okay, I, said, I have a few things to say. It won't take long. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. New England humor at its best, right there, ladies and gentlemen. Good. I mean, there's such a good group of guys. That's I. I kept going back to this community aspect yeah, of it because of because fun. you just feel it. Every, everybody there knows everybody else. They're all on a first name basis, and they are all in this together. Yeah. Which is, frankly, where we need we all need to be. <laughs> so we're gonna hear from. Um, uh, Alan next, right? At the he gives a speech at the at the house. Right? Does give another speech at the house, uh, talking more about the folks that were involved. Uh, just really identifying again. It's all about community, and they're they're really trying to identify the folks who stepped up to make everything work. Yeah, Alan. Alan. Oh. Oh. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's the town found out about this about six years ago, and by doing the thoughtful planning that they did. We got more than we ever expected to get for our investment. And now, as Paul tells it, the town is sitting on top of a really unique and, and um, uh, special energy creator. Uh, it's unlike most anything else that's going on in the country. That's hard to believe, but when you put it in the context of, of uh, running an entire town on solar, just as it comes out of the sky to us, um, it's easier to get more and more impressed as we go. But uh, we were thinking earlier, Paul and I and others were talking about uh, the role that that uh, Cuddyhunk has played in energy production. And uh, Oriel was up here one time, and and uh, I took occasion to ask her how she and her family happened to come to the island. And she started out by saying, well, 10 million years ago. <laughs> and I, I, I thought, this is perfect. This is a woman, a, a brilliant woman with a PhD. And she understood the, the wholeness of this island in a way that not very many of us ever get a chance to do. But uh, when you think about her grandfather being the man who worried about energy on this island to the point that he decided to put DC, uh, DC power on the island 
uh, before people had decided to take the whole rest of the world onto AC power, alternating current, which is what we have now, her dad put DC uh, power here and, and ran it so that the citizens on the island, his friends and family, could have electric lights. As recently as less than 20 years ago, they were still using gas lights over on the neck. But in between, William Wood created this power generating situation. And then something clicked. And he said, let's put all the lines underground. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had to decide whether or not to put the lines underground today? Um, it would take some far-sighted vision. And there is no way to explain this except to realize he was thinking in a way that most people just weren't. As time went along, the power got changed to AC, which is what we all have now, alternating current. Years went by. That happened in the early 1900s when Mr. Wood did his thing. And then in the late 90s, we were living off of that power. Nobody thought a whole lot about it except that we never had a, we never had a telephone pole go down. And then all of a sudden, we got a new town electrician. And we began to find way, he began to find ways to quiet the thing down. And all of a sudden, people were saying, wait a minute, it's not as noisy as it used to be. And then in the middle of a rainstorm or a snowstorm, the power would go down. And this electrician that had come to the island got in his backhoe and went and became so much more than just an electrician. He went out in the middle of the night, dug up our streets, repaired these ancient wires, put the street back together as best he could here on our little island, and got power back to all of us. And then all of a sudden, we stumbled into a, an opportunity for the federal government to put some money into Massachusetts, and for Massachusetts to get a chance to build a solar system that they wanted very badly. And then our town stepped up and said, we'd like to try it. Now, there's almost no way to overstate the impact that Stuart Young had on that process. He's the guy that wrote the grant that made it happen. He got the money in here, and Paul Elias and Wyatt and others began to look at what the best thing we could do for the island would be. And they put their plan together over the next three or four years. And all of a sudden, we were faced with installing this thing. And this electrician that had been with us for all these years said, yeah, I know how to do this. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to say too much more about Wayne, or he'll become insufferably worse than he is. <laughs> it's no joke, though, the good fortune that we've had by having Mr. Wood teach us early about the importance of energy and developing the technology and a town that supported him and people like Wayne who could do the work and guide the engineers who brought the ideas here about what our town needed. And then to have everybody pull together and be lucky enough to have the electric committee, Paul Elias and Wyatt and Bill Archer, have these guys step up and pull this off. It is really something that this town should be proud of. And in put, putting that just in context, we've seen the island as it struggles to find the right way to go. But when we decide the right way to go, we do it right. 
And you guys and all of our friends here on the island should be very proud of this. And then finally, at this same uh, luncheon, I was able to catch up with uh, Chris O'Neill, who is representing Solar Design Associates, one of the principal architects, or the principal architect of the whole system. Yeah, when you showed me his business card and I checked him out online, I was like, well, this is a serious outfit. Yeah, they, they've done an awful lot of stuff on a lot of really high-profile buildings. Uh, White like House. Like the White House. <laughs> UN, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, a handful of other really amazing projects. Yeah, so we're up here at the dedication of the Cuddy Hunk solar installation with... Christopher O'Neill. O'Neill was the last name, thank you. Yep. <laughs> Chris, yep. Chris, you're known as Chris, because everybody here is apparently on a first name basis. Yep. I've been commenting over and over today how it's just so thrilling to see the community buy-in yes. here. Everybody yep. is really thrilled with the install. There's no real kickback yet. I mean, was it, was it yep. always that way through the whole project? Or? No, not not at all. <laughs> okay. not, not at all. So yeah. a lot of difficulties in citing the location you know certainly after the fact when the diesel shut off that that was a big deal so they weren't so much worried about the the site of the panels at that point right. it, uh, just a wonderful thing to see the community come together and the grant and uh, yeah. it's a great project to be involved in so Love cut it. down about 65 percent of their diesel consumption so any island community Next. Puerto Rico <laughs> same thing yeah the Virgin Islands yeah it's, Island it's where, wherever you're burning diesel the only efficient way to do it is to run that diesel at full load right uh, and and that means storage and then yeah. if you've got the solar that's just going to cut down on the diesel all the more so yeah. it's it's a no-brainer what is next for you now that now this is done it's dedicated I and mean, it's been online for a year right yeah um, Isle of Ho up in Maine Okay, I've heard that, of that. that they yeah. have a, an aging yeah. cable, correct? Yep, and that's... about a seven-mile-long cable. Yeah, so, but, but uh, it could go at any time is, is the conversation. Exactly. Yeah, it's, so, so it's beyond its estimated How many residents? Yeah. Uh, they're about 45, Okay. So uh, similar, I think, year-round residents. So, yeah, a little smaller island and, and a lot different of a community. It's more of a working community sure. uh, where, where this is, uh, you know, there's some, some fishing here, but it's more recreational and it's more... Uh, this island's a little bit more affluent than that sure, one, so, sure. uh, but it, it's just, again, any island community, it, it's a tough thing because there's lightning in a bottle when everybody agrees on something, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, and, and this definitely hit them in the pocketbook. And Do you see a benefit for moving thing. now as opposed to? Yeah, I, I think, you know. That's uh, a conversation we've been having is the reason why I ask. If you, there's, sure. there's, there's a big conversation whether if we just bite the bullet, pay for the conversion, Will that save us money in the long run for the next 20 years that we would be on this so, fossil fuel or, tr I or don't transitional think it's fuel? about the money, and it depends yeah. on the, the person that it is. So, sure. you know, the, the early adopters are going to want to adopt the technology, and the people that get a kick out of sailing a boat or flying a kite rather than running a chainsaw or running an outboard yeah. are going to understand that. And it, it's, you know, something for nothing is, is what it is. And it's natural and it's it's power production as opposed to, you know, burning something. It's right. just, it, it's, it's positive energy. You know, I think there's always going to be a place for fossil fuel, but it's definitely got to be behind us. It's not in front of us. There's no such thing as clean coal. Yeah. Uh, although it is our ace in the hole as far as energy storage goes, and we've got so much of it still. It just can't be used feasibly to, you know, save the environment. You know, it's sacrilege to some, but nuclear, nuclear is still an option. It's a closed cycle process, and 
we've just got to manage it and with some of the newer reactor technology that is certainly an answer taking care of mother earth so chris's perspective is an informed perspective from the industry and you know he said some things that you know, kind of didn't surprise maybe, us too much really no not really i mean it may be inflammatory to some but but this energy mix is maybe the right way to go about it <laughs> well, I mean, and, and perhaps different geographies and different areas have specific energy mix strategies, right? Sure. And so he talked about for... nuclear, he talked about coal. There is no clean coal, but we got a whole, get a boatload of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> what, do, what do we do to use it at all or not? Maybe, you know, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a solar guy, a solar professional that understands that there's a mix of energy required to create a solution, great solution we need. Yeah, excellent. And then the last uh, interview I got was um, with a nice lady who I need to apologize. I never captured your name, uh, but she really summed up what this whole community was all about for me. This is my favorite part. Well, I'll just say a couple things. First of all, um, we're a very interesting island, except that we're kind of hardly noticed. We are one of the Elizabeth Islands, which separates Buzzards Bay from Vineyard Sound. But if you ask anybody on the mainland, if you've been to Cuttyhunk, they've never heard of it. Sure. So it's sure. a great secret, even in the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> but it is a wonderful place. Um, we've been coming here with our family since 1983. And what we enjoy about it here, a lot of our friends will say, didn't you go, don't you go there to get away from it all? It's so remote. And I said, no, not at all. We go there to be together with the family. It's community that is rich here. Yes, there's great fishing. We're known for striped bass fishing. Yes, there's great boating. Uh, yes, there are gorgeous sunsets and sunrises. But the real beauty of this area is community. And that's what you're seeing come together on this project, from what you've heard from the other individuals involved. We share what I really think is the, the real value of living. We, we, as generations, come here as families, and we celebrate births, marriages, deaths. We gather for our friends over decades uh, at the cemetery, but we're there, you know, at the church, and we're there in the market, and we're there at the post office, and our lives are so intermeshed. And so it is really the community and the interaction that we have that makes it so special and makes it possible for to make a project like this come together, which seems almost impossible. Whenever we've pursued it before, can't happen. You've got a closed system, can't happen. You know, you're not gonna be able to do anything but be on generators forever. And so the fact that this technology has come of age and this project has been able to unfold the way it has is beautiful for uh, for heating our homes. And <laughs> And running our lights and not having blackouts a lot, you know, yep. that's a beautiful thing, too. But uh, more importantly, I think it just enriches our community to have the, the security and uh, of this project and, and seeing, knowing that our neighbors and friends all made it possible working with, with the people of Massachusetts, too. So there we go. Island Microgrids, the Cuddyhunk Island story. A fantastic community really showing by example what's possible these days with the technology we have. I mean, that's really what kind of shown through in the story, right? The community, the interaction, the vision, uh, just a, a group of people that are ready to jump full force into, you know, the future. Yeah, yeah the revolution. <laughs> Massachusetts <laughs> folks will get that. Okay, folks, this has been The Solar Coaster. Uh, we are sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonnen Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you next time. Aloha Friday, folks.